This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Marty Moore. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for C2 Education, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode number 215. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Eric Johnson, CFO of Nintex. So just about every morning when I get in the office, um, one of the first things I do is I look at my Salesforce dashboards and I look at the pipeline. I look at how much pipeline is being created, how that trend compares to prior period, look at the total pipeline, the mix of the pipeline. So a lot of a lot about the pipeline. The pipeline is really the leading indicator of, um, of growth for us. Um, closely monitor what we call new booking. A new booking for us is a, either a first time customer buying or a um, uh, customer adding more cross sell or an upsell. And then uh, closely related to that is our build of annual recurring revenue or ARR. The other one I keep a pretty close eye on is the uh, logo count. So how many new customers are we adding? And then uh, how many total customers do we have? The bigger we can grow our customer base, the more market share we have, um, you know, the, the, the better our uh, long-term health will be. Listen to our complete interview with Eric after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Eric Johnson, CFO of Nintex, a truly global company today that began in Melbourne, Australia. It specializes in helping companies manage their workflows. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So we always like to begin, we want to find out exactly what Nintex does, certainly. But um, first, let's find out a little bit about you, Eric. And uh, we always like to ask for those career milestones that help prepare you for a CFO role. What would those be? You know, I'd say there's three that probably come to mind um, for, for me that all happened uh, roughly in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. Um, first one was I was at a company uh, as a kind of a mid-level finance professional um, called Merrant, and we were acquired by another company uh, named Serena. And fortunately for me, the the three more senior uh, folks who were in front of me in the organization ended up leaving the company. And I ended up having the opportunity to go from managing a couple of people to managing over 30 within a year. And just a, a tremendous experience uh, and expansion of opportunity. Um, I'd say the second is I actually took um, about four years where I moved outside of a peer finance role. And I was the VP of worldwide sales operations at the same company. And that, that uh, really shaped and helped um, take me to the next level in terms of my ability to understand the business. I spent time with our customers and our partners. Uh, lots of time in the sales organization out in the field, um, which was tremendously valuable. And then I'd say the third one um, that, that put me in a good position uh, to be successful in this role 
is I joined Jive Software about eight months before uh, we took the company public. And so I had a lot of opportunity to contribute to the IPO process. And then uh, post the IPO, uh, managing a high growth um, public company as the VP of finance and sales ops. And, and really those three experiences are what's allowed me to have this opportunity that I have today. Yeah, so tell us how that shaped your 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 philosophy of finance and 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 the kind of job perhaps that you wanted to create for yourself here at Nintex. Yeah, I, I think um the thing for me and it and it actually probably started right from the start of my career with my early mentors, but I, I've always seen finance and experienced it and, and and tried to drive it as a key uh contributor to the success of the business. Um I've never looked at, at finance as kind of the the backward facing scorekeepers. Instead, I've looked at it as a forward facing um, partner for the business um, where both myself and, and other leaders and, and uh, team members in the function, you know, we partner with the business and whether that's the key executives or line of business managers or even individual contributors who are making key decisions, um, you know, we're, we're there to figure out how to, how to grow the business faster, how to do that profitably and how to make sure that, um, you know, we're creating good value for our shareholders and that we're doing it in a way that's, that's consistent with the values and the culture of the company. So let's find out something about Nintex and the, its offerings today. And if you would, uh, something of the competitive landscape out there, who, who your competitors might be. Yeah. So um, fundamentally, uh, Nintex, we provide a, a software platform that uh, our customers and partners use to automate processes. And, and there's, you know, there's lots of technologies that would probably purport to do something similar. What we focus on, though, is there, there's many processes in an organization that are um, that involve unstructured content, oftentimes documents that, that you know might be living in a content management system, might be living in a, a box, a Dropbox, something like that. And um, historically, you know, there was a lot of emails going on with those and manual sign-offs. And in these processes, um, you know, there's typically hundreds or at larger entities, thousands of them. And we focus on being able to to provide our customers and partners a platform where they can very quickly in hours or at most days, automate these processes. And so our competitive landscape is a little unique in that I, I would honestly say we don't really have a pure play competitor that's just like us. There are um, some traditional companies that would be called business process management that have really big, robust platforms and tend to focus on highly complex, structured, enterprise-wide um, projects. And that would be companies like a, like a K2 uh, a Pega Systems and Appian, and, and these are great companies. They do great things, but they're really focused on a different set of problems than we focus on. And I'd say on the other end of the the market, um, there are some you know very lightweight consumerized technologies that would let an individual connect and move information from one system to another very quickly, like a Zapier and if this then that. And I would say we're right in the middle, and that we we allow you to connect these other systems very quickly. We allow you to automate a process, but we're very focused on the 80%, these, these everyday processes that um, create inefficiency in businesses and take away from customer experience. And so that's, uh, I think, why we've had so much success in the market. All right. So what are the uh, key metrics that you rely on day-to-day here to, to understand how Nintex is performing? Yeah, I mean, as a growth, uh, growth software business, I think for us, it's very much, um, metrics around, um, around growth and customer success. Um, I, I'll kind of split them in two buckets. So the, the growth side of it, and then I'll focus on here, 
um, pipeline growth. So just about every morning when I get in the office, um, one of the first things I do is I look at my Salesforce dashboards and I look at the pipeline. I look at how much pipeline is being created, how that trend compares to prior periods, look at the total pipeline, the mix of the pipeline. So a lot of, a lot about the pipeline. The pipeline is really the leading indicator of, um, of growth for us. Um, closely monitor what we call new bookings. A new booking for us is a, either a first time customer buying or a, um, uh, customer adding more a cross sell or an upsell. And then, uh, closely related to that is our build of annual recurring revenue or ARR. Um, those three things are really the heart of what we're trying to accomplish, um, in the company. And I'd say the other one I keep a pretty close eye on is the, uh, logo count. So how many new customers are we adding? And then, uh, how many total customers do we have? The bigger we can grow our customer base, the more market share we have. Um, you know, the, the, the better our uh, long-term health will be. Well, you use the phrase customer success, which, of course, is something we've been uh, discussing with a good number of CFOs as they seek to begin measuring the customer experience more. And I'm wondering if you could reflect a little for us about uh, this customer success mantra and how you think it might change uh, the role of finance professionals more broadly than, than high tech, perhaps? Or do you not think that? <laughs> um, no, I certainly do. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're a growth-oriented software firm, but to have long-term uh, sustainable growth and get to the, the strategic vision that we have for the company, um, customers have to be successful. Successful customers um, stay, right? They, they continue to renew. And they grow and our, um, our data and our own analysis and plenty of, uh, independent empirical analysis is showing that. So, um, to build a great business, you've got to have a, a ton of customer success. And I think it's really changed, um, you know, quite a bit over the years. When I started, you know, roughly, I guess it's been about 18 years since I've been, been doing uh, this kind of work. Um, when I started, it was, it was, uh, it was a different world. You know, it was a lot about you hear like the customer support function or customer service. Um, just a different mindset, a different attitude. And I think as the business models have shifted to more recurring base, um, it has become more about customer success because every year the customer can vote on their renewal, um, whether they want to continue. So the metrics we look at, um, number one, uh, we pay close attention to our net promoter score, which we measure on a, on a monthly basis across a, a series of uh, data points with our customer touch. Um, we have a set of customer satisfaction metrics around uh, their experience interacting with us, something we call top box and bottom box. And then um, one of the keys for us that we think is a really good um, metric is for our customers who have entered the cloud where we have their data real time. Um, we look at the number of workflows that they've published. Um, that's the, the, the key metric when you're automating a process, how often they're running them. And we closely monitor that growth. The more we see that growing. The quicker that's growing, we know that the customers are getting great value from our platform. And our, our whole focus is to provide a very easy-to-use platform that is very powerful. And we can see that via the growth and workflows. Meanwhile, Nintex has opened uh, a new evolutionary chapter as it moves to a subscription uh, model. What can you tell us about that? I, I think what I could share is maybe the, the process, a bit of what we went through and, and are going through that I think could be helpful for, for other CFOs. I think, oh, that'd be um, excellent. Yeah. I, I think fundamentally um, the approach we've taken is to do a lot of research along the way. 
Um, and, and what that really has meant for us is uh, along the way, we've, we've done quite a bit of work where we've gone out and, um, you know, talked to many, many customers, talked to a ton of our partners. Um, we've spent time with industry analysts, you know, the, the bigger names in our industry would be folks like Gartner and, and Forrester. Um, we also, uh, in, in our specific world, we, we sell quite a bit into the Microsoft ecosystem. So we spent quite a bit of time with some of the, the Microsoft related folks who work on pricing and licensing there. And I, I think what that's done and, and along the way as we had ideas and concepts of what we wanted to do, we were able to get, you know, real market based feedback and testing. We were able to refine them and improve them. And I think, um, and we were just not acted hastily. You know, we've really been thoughtful. We've done quite a bit of, uh, of modeling on, on different scenarios. And then, you know, each quarter that we've been starting on this and it's a journey we've really been on for sort of the last year or so, we've absorbed that feedback and then we've taken our next step forward. So in some businesses, you know, you may do all that research and decide, hey, overnight, it's a 100% switch. You know, we got our great idea and here's where we go. In our business, um, you know, we're, we're very profitable. Um, we do have a bit of a, a levered company structure. And so we have some debt covenants. So we really need to be thoughtful on ensuring that we we continue to deliver the, the profitability level that that we need to, and so um, you know we've been very thoughtful. But what I would say more than anything is do that research and really get that feedback. I think that's the critical part. Uh, you mentioned uh, you're going out on a road show, and yeah. I would imagine that means you're going to be uh, client facing uh, for a, a spell here. Is that right? Are, are you going to be uh, participating in events where you'll be speaking to lots of customers? So the, the specific uh, roadshow I'm going on this week is for our um, our partners. So one thing that's a little bit unique about Nintex, and I, I should have mentioned up front, um, in contrast to most uh, software companies, we don't, we our primary selling model is not direct. We have a partner network of over 1,500 partners across the globe who work with uh, the end customer who help them understand their problem, who help design a solution and, and leverage Nintex to build a, an application to solve that business challenge. And so one of the things we're doing this quarter is we've got a series of uh, road shows in several cities across the globe where we're going out um, and we have a, a kind of a, about a, a four-hour set of material. It starts with a keynote, and I'm going to be the keynote speaker at our roadshow events in uh, Charlotte, Tampa, and Atlanta. And we're really showing the vision of where we're going with Nintex and what it means to our mutual customers and to our uh, joint future business success. And, um, you know, it's something I, I enjoy doing. Uh, just a few weeks before, I was actually back in the South. That's the, one of the regions I sponsor, and I was in Germany seeing both customers and partners. So I, I believe really strongly to know what's going on in the business, you've got to be in front of your partners and customers. Now, is it a small and medium business uh, that uh, your offerings are, uh, your customer base is largely made up of today, or do you have enterprise as well? Uh, it's actually a, a pretty good mix. So what I would say is um, you, you won't see very many customers below a couple hundred employees. And then we have, uh, in fact, one of the logo charts I show when we go to um, investor conferences is a uh, chart of, um, you know, a bunch of uh, Fortune 100 and, and uh, top global brands. So we we um, have about half of our revenue coming from uh, companies with thousands of employees. Um, and then the other half comes from, I'd say, kind of more your mid-market, 200 to 1,000 employees. So it's very much a solution that, uh, you know, once you're in a business with at least a couple hundred employees, 
you can get value from. And we, we've got some of the largest companies in the world, um, one of which has deployed us in over 100,000 uh, uh, employee organization across the globe. So it's, it's uh, across both of those areas. This is uh, part of the podcast where we always uh, look for that moment of strategic insight that you may have had along the way in your finance career. It may have been in, in text. It might have been earlier on one of your earlier tours of duty where, uh, you know, given your role as a finance leader, you had uh, your lines of sight uh, into the numbers or portions of the business uh, that you realized uh, perhaps an opportunity that uh, might have gone unnoticed. Uh, has anything come to mind? Yeah, I have. I have one that um, has stand out in my mind for a lot of years. Um, this one was probably about, you know, I guess it's been maybe um, you know eight nine years ago, uh, back when I was at Serena, and you know, at that company, we were very very focused at that time on you know growth, which was all about um, in that business model, kind of the new license sales and you know going after um, incremental dollars and. One of the things I observed at the time was um, I was looking at some data that I'd asked my team to put together and doing some analysis, and I, I saw pretty quickly that there was a, a big stratification in our customer base. So at that time, I, the number that comes to mind is maybe the company had 4,000 customers. And when when I kind of dig it into it, what I realized was the top 150 of those made almost and it kind of the number that comes to mind is maybe half of half of the revenue within 150. And um, you know what? what what the thought was is, geez, guys, if we focused a bit more on making sure we see those 150, even if they're not buying anything new right now, we're more likely to renew them. And if we build a better relationship, we'll probably start to see more um, new activity, more incremental sales with those companies. And so um, myself and the uh, head of uh, uh, customer success there partnered up and brought forward a program and said to the, the exec team and our board, Let's have a top 150 executive sponsorship program. And, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we, every one of these gets an executive visit at least once a year. And we come up with plans and strategies around how do we ensure these relationships are great. And that, that program went exceptionally well. What we found was that there was a set of accounts where maybe the sales team didn't think there was any new opportunity. They weren't getting a lot of touch. They're, you know, we weren't really hearing from the customer. We weren't understanding their challenges. And we were able to drive, um, increase in the renewal rate of these customers and a significant amount of uh, new uh, incremental purchasing from them because they were able to hear about things we had done. We were able to hear about things in their business. We were able to align our, our um, mutual interests. And so I think that for me was a, an aha moment that then, you know, fueled several other things as, as the career has gone on. We've begun asking our CFO guests about some of their talent challenges and workforce performance. And uh, curious, how large a workforce does Nintex have today? Uh, we have about 365 employees, I think is the approximate number as of today. So let's talk about uh, workforce performance and how you go about measuring that today. I think there's a couple different different sides of it. So on a macro level, um, one metric we've always held to uh, – pretty closely, and it's just more of a global standard for us, is revenue per employee. Um, we have a standard. We like to keep that number at about $250,000 um, per employee, and we feel that for the type of company we are in the industry we're in, that's an appropriate level of uh, revenue and employee productivity. Um, the the other things we do are a little bit different than that, and um, get into things like we have a kind of an ongoing employee satisfaction sampling we do. Um, we also look closely at retention rates and then 
really what we try to do more than anything um, is we have a cascading goals process in the company. So we'll start out at the, the beginning of each fiscal year and we're constantly revisiting it. We will be looking at, you know, our long-term uh, strategic perspective, what we're trying to accomplish, mapping that into the near-term priorities, and then cascading those goals throughout the organization. And, and what we're trying to do is create a high-performance culture where uh, there's good strategic alignment, good alignment with what we're trying to do as a company at every level of the organization. And we tie our rewards and recognition system to that in terms of uh, the MBO component of a bonus plan. And um, for us, a lot of it starts on that front end with hiring. Uh, one of the things we do that I, I think is probably a little unique is every single employee we hire um, will have a final interview with one of our, our top executives. Um, no employee gets hired, uh, no matter what the level, that one of our, our top 10 or so executives um, has not met. And we do that because there's really two components of having uh, great high productivity employees. One is, um, you know, do they have the right experience, uh, character and traits to, to d- deliver on the objectives of that role? But the other is, is do they fit the culture? And Nintex, um, we are very passionate about being a great place to work. Um, we have a very um, positive culture where our employees operate with a lot of mutual respect for each other. Um, I've been in, you know, some companies along the way and in the seven or eight I've worked at where, you know, if you did your job well, but maybe you were, you were pretty difficult and, and terrible to work with that, that might have been let go. We, we don't do that at Nintex. So getting that right on the front end is critically important to us. And this being a high tech uh, firm, uh, you're usually rather advanced in your forecasting and leveraging of technologies, perhaps in that space. But can you share with us uh, what steps uh, the finance organization has taken to help empower the business to look forward? I I would say um, a couple of things. So at our size, um, you know, when I joined the company, we were probably about 40 million a year in revenue. We're now above uh, 80 million a year in in revenue. You know, we're not a massive company and we've always been run to be very profitable. So when I came on board, um, we, you know, we honestly had pretty limited capabilities in the finance function. And and given my very operational background, um, one of the first things I did was started to ask different questions. And I I had a boss a long time ago used to say, it's all in the questions you ask. And so started to ask a lot about kind of some of the leading indicators. Um, you know, what, what is happening with our, our whole demand funnel? You know, what, what types of demand um, drive the best outcomes? What's happening with the pipeline? And so we, we started to build a lot of uh, metrics around that area. And the other thing we, we started to put in place was a whole finance partner concept. So um, began hiring a, a team of people and really training them in the, the way that I wanted them to work, which is to be close to their business um, allies, you know, be a key part, help them understand what you can do, not, not only the metrics, but some of the analysis, some of the business advice, um, sit with them, meet with them regularly. But it's really about that business partnership and spending the time together. And so I, I think if you were to come into Nintex, what you would see is, um, you know, the, the, the finance professionals, they're often in the office, you know, on the whiteboard, reviewing information, strategizing through ideas, you know, with with the sales leadership, marketing, uh, development, any of the core functions, um, they're key partners. And that was really a mindset shift of what was possible versus just being, um, you know, really the backward looking scorekeepers. And, and there were some things we had to put in place, some of the long-term planning and analysis. So really building out more detailed models of what could happen, what are the levers and drivers 
I'd say that was a, a pretty critical component uh, along with the questions we started asking. Okay. We now enter our mentoring round where we ask you several quick questions uh, to offer advice to aspiring finance leaders. Along the way, have you had a mentor or mentors? Uh, absolutely. I, 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 I would especially say um, early in, in my career, uh, I was fortunate that, that the majority of those bosses I had and, and a couple of them in particular um, were really mentors. They were, you know, much later in their career, highly experienced, very successful, and did a lot uh, to help me along the way. Okay. What is it, though, that piece of advice that you wish someone had shared with you before you actually stepped into the CFO office? Uh, you know, I, I would say it's uh, it's probably a piece of advice I got midway through my career, which was uh, listen more, talk less. Um, you know, as a as a finance professional and, and frankly as an executive in general, um, you know, I, I I think it's really important to be able to listen, you know, ask great questions, and then sit back and and you know absorb uh, the information versus uh, projecting out your own your own concepts. I think listening is is really critical to being a successful executive and, and specifically a CFO. Is there a personal habit you think has contributed to your professional success? You know, I, I think the number one habit, um, and I just, uh, it, it just ingrained in me from, uh, from probably some of the sports and, and athletic training I did as a kid, um, is just delivering on commitments. You know, you're, you're part of a team, uh, you make commitments, uh, you, you gotta make them happen. And I think more than anything, um, if you were to, to ask the bosses and coworkers I've had across the years, they would say that, you know, if, if I committed to do something, either myself or my, my organization, um, you know, we, we did whatever it took to, to make it happen. And I think that's the reason why, you know, every job I've had has basically been some type of a referral from a prior role. I wanted to talk about that with you uh, during uh, when we asked for your career milestones. I believe you mentioned that you uh, were oversaw worldwide sales for another company at one point in time. How did you um, take that path? And and did you think it was uh, did you expect to be there for the the remainder of your career? Were you becoming a sales executive, or no. did you just see it as a tour as a duty in development? So I honestly wasn't sure when I took the opportunity. It wasn't all of sales; it was sales operations. Um, it was about thirty person organization out of a, I think we were probably one hundred and fifty in total. So I had basically the operational components of sales and the renewal sales teams and uh, sales training and sales readiness type stuff. And when I when I took the opportunity. Um, you know, I thought of it as uh, I'll, I'll, I get a minimum. I'll go in, you know, let's say three or four years. I'll get a lot of customer-facing experience. I always enjoyed working with the sales organization, and I felt like it would, um, you know, round me out as a professional and it'd give me a set of skills that would would be very valuable long-term. I I also felt it was an opportunity to then decide whether long-term I would want to be a sales executive and and you know be the head of sales, or um, whether at some point. Uh, you know, I, I would want to go back to finance. And, and the other thought um, for me, I, I studied finance originally because my dad was a senior executive at a very large uh, U.S. Fortune 500 company. Um, you know, he, he grilled me right from the start. Finance is the language of business. My goal um, was always to eventually run, run a company, to, to be a CEO. And so I felt like that operational experience, whether I kind of went up through the sales line or I went back through the finance line, uh, would prove valuable long term in my career. Do you have a favorite personal productivity tool that you'd recommend? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, about a year and a half ago, I, I grew tired of having uh, so many handwritten notes on uh, paper and, and trying to make sure I wasn't losing track of any uh, key deliverables I might have written down or, or key things I had on those notepads. And so I switched to using uh, OneNote on a Surface tablet. And uh, that really accomplished a couple of things for me. Um, I'm sure many of the CFOs, if they're public or thinking about going public, you know, they go to investor conferences. And I used to go to investor conferences. I would have, um, I'd either have my computer and a notepad or I'd have my computer and an iPad. But in, in any way, I had too much going on and I didn't have all my information in the same place. And so going to OneNote, keeping all my notes and um, any of my action items in there on the surface has allowed me to eliminate paper. It's allowed me to be, I think, more more reliable and just that much more tighter and organized and efficient. And it's been a, a huge win for me. I wish I would have switched earlier. I, I think the thing that held me back was probably just comfort. You know, I started out my career at a time when uh, tablets didn't exist and uh, laptops were really early. And, uh, you know, at that point in the world, you, you learn to, to transpose your, you know, your thoughts on a piece of paper. And it's just comfort that kept me from switching earlier. Okay. Now, is there a book you'd recommend? Absolutely. Um, you know, given uh, my view of finance being very much about partnership and influence and the relationships you make, I think the best business book I've ever read, and it's the best probably just book period, um, is, is a really simple one, uh, very old, called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale, Dale Carnegie. I've read that book uh, three times, and I just I find that it's very practical, effective advice on how how to have uh, strong relationships, whether they're, they're business or personal. And it, it's just really helped me um, a lot in my career. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, so our, um, you know, our business right now, uh, I, I would say we've got um, some pretty big uh, strategic um, moves and, and priorities going on right now that, that I'm deeply involved with. Um, number one, we've been making some changes to our economic uh, model, how we how we uh, uh, price and monetize uh, our solution. We've been moving more to a subscription-based uh, uh, workflow um, model. That's a, a big shift in our business and a, and a huge priority for the next uh, next year or so. Um, the other is we've been really going and increasing our addressable market. We've been working hard on developing the next generation of our technology and some uh, add-on offerings. And, and so big priority for me is helping the organization make the trade-offs on capital allocation between these longer-term investments, which are going to start to come into the market over the next 12 months, and then the, the shorter-term things we need to do. And that's 
you know, that's something um, where I really think it's, uh, you know, a critical role that I play and my team plays in working with the organization to make those trade-offs because you've got to, you know, you've got to pay the bills today, but you need to do the things that allow your business to be successful for the next, you know, three, five, 10 years. And, and that's a, a big part of where I spend my time right now. Eric Johnson, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOthoughtleader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching. And we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at CFOthoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.